Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 133 in Edmonton. This is Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer with you. Royal Pizza, Pizza Past, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for. 50 years for many locations. Visit royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Uh, we had Brad Malone on in the uh, opening half hour of the show, and he relayed a story about Connor McDavid reaching out, and uh, he was surprised he got a text just after it was announced that uh, he had signed a, a one-year extension with the Oilers organization and uh, talked about the things that leaders do. And I remember a story about Darren Langdon when he got recalled uh, from the minors and uh, to the New York Rangers. And Mark Messier took him out and said, hey, man, uh, Darren Langdon was from Newfoundland. And he uh, he went to uh, Langdon and took him to Brooks Brothers and looked at the guy that owned the place and handed him his American Express card. Mark Messier did and said, go hook my man up. Interestingly enough, the next time anybody went so much as near Mark Messier, Darren Langdon took care of business, and he could do that because he was a great undersized fighter. Al May battled a lot of guys along the way. He played a long time in a lot in the minors as well as over 400 games in the NHL. Al joins us uh, once again here on the show. Al, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Do you uh, do you have uh, some stories along the way about uh, you know sort of how you were? Uh, you know, treated by some of the leaders that you uh, played with during the course of your NHL career? Well, you know, it, the guys who are great leaders are always doing things, and it's just who they are. And I know that my first NHL training camp was with the Boston Bruins, and Ray Bork was not there. Uh, he, he was gone all of August. He was in the Canada Cup training camp, and, and that's why he was gone. That great finish where Gretzky passed to Lemieux and Murphy, and it was that, that great goal. And... I remember watching with the guys every single night. But the day that Ray got back, I was the first person that came over to him. And he goes, I, I heard you've had an absolutely amazing camp. I hope we sign you right away. And I just thought it was, you know, guys like that, because it means all the world. Because one day you're a little kid watching NHL games. The next day you're in a training camp. And when these guys come up and treat you like peers, and I, I know the same thing. My first game with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Mark Messier, it was the same thing. It was one of the first guys in the room. To congratulate me on call, getting called up. Gretz, the very first time that I showed up in an Oilers dressing room in the, the spring of 88, uh, I, I think it was the spring of 88 or so, Gretz was the first guy in the dressing room to talk to me, and he knew everything about me, which I tell everyone all the time, those old Oilers, uh, to my buddies that never got to play at Edmonton and played a little bit after, I said, they know everything about you. Those guys truly love the game of hockey, and that's why that team was so good for so long, is that those guys 
And I, I swear to God, guys like Matt T and Ness and and Gretz, when they bump into players, Kevin Lowell, uh, around, you know, whether they're scouting or doing whatever they're doing around North America, they bump into those NHL players, and they seem to know everything about those guys. So I applaud those great leaders for being the guys that they are. Well, I recall uh, we were in Washington a couple of years ago, and uh, we communicated, and you were hoping to get Wayne uh, Wayne to do a an interview with you guys on your on your uh, panel or on the bench or whatever, and Wayne's like, well, of course I'll do one with Almey. I mean, why wouldn't I? That's just who he is. He's that guy. So, uh, by the way, you did score a goal as an Oiler, did you not? Yeah, I did, and uh, it, it was incredible. It was my first game with the Oilers as a game winner. I think he put us in first place over the Flames that night. And, uh, my short-lived Miller career, but... You know, certainly one of the highlights of my career because the goal that I scored and I had season six and seven rows up just to the side of the Zamboni uh, in that exact same section. So, you know, that's a memory that never goes away. And every single time that the Capitals play the Oilers, our broadcast crew shows up for me. So I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget that one, and they won't let me forget it either. Uh, who was involved on the play, do you recall? Well, I've got a, a little funny story. And we were playing, and... It, it, I didn't go to, you know, remember week when they used to have the offside, so like they, they they have now. And I went in on a four check when they thought I was lying to you. And Gary Suter looked up and coughed up the puck, and it went to me at the hash mark. And the older I get, the further out the puck was, and I went in on a mini breakaway. But I was going top shelf, and the puck ended up going five hole, I think. <laughs> Anyways, uh, a, a, year, a season later, I'm playing for the Washington Capitals, and the guy that I live with is Neil Sheehy. And his best friend in the Calgary Flames was Gary Suter. So I, I came home in the afternoon, and Joel Otto and Gary Suter were in my place. And I had never met them before. And it's back when he didn't make a whole lot of buddies uh, in the game, especially if they weren't on your team, you weren't pals. And uh, all I did was I walked in and said thank you to Gary Suter. And he knew exactly what I was talking about. And, you know, what he told me to do, and we had a great laugh about it. You know, I'd always be tapping my stick on the ice and warm up or in a game for him to pass me the puck so I could score another goal. Uh, there you go. We're joined by Alan May, works in the Washington Capitals broadcast. We have him on the show every couple of weeks here on Withers Now. Uh, we had Dave Tippett on the show yesterday, Al. I know you were kind enough to uh, join Brendan. We had some technical difficulties last Tuesday. Just ra- Actually, we have to get out of the building. Uh, because Carrie Underwood uh, was taking over Roger's place, so we we had to depart uh, for an event that was there. So I, I just got to ask you, I mean, you played with and you played for Dave Tippett. So let's start by uh, just uh, when, you, uh, when he came and joined you guys, uh, and I, I believe that was in Washington. What do you remember about Tippett at that stage? Well, when he first came in, we had a Hartford connection in Washington, and we always got players from from the Hartford Whalers. And Joel Quinville played there briefly, Mike Leute, Sylvain Cote, Todd Krieger, Dave Tippett, Neil Sheehy even came from there, Todd Krieger. So I played with a lot of the old Hartford Whalers, and I'm not sure why we were always making trades and signing those guys, but the day that Tip walked in, you know, I played briefly against him. I couldn't believe how scrawny he was, and... uh but as soon as he came into the team, it was like he had been there for years. He's just a phenomenal guy, and I'm sure he was the glue guy in Hartford. And he fit right in seamlessly with us and uh, was a great encouragement type of guy. Worked his tail off, gave every ounce that he had. He wasn't, he wasn't big. You know, he wasn't a workout guy in the summer, but a lot of guys weren't back then. What he was doing was building houses and a very interesting kind of guy, but I just remember he gave it his all. And uh, on and off the ice, one of the great communicators, very positive. 
And I had zero doubt in my mind that he'd be a coach in, in the NHL at some point, whether it's an assistant or a head coach. And uh, he, he just had something about him. He could play in your power play. He was obviously on your, power, your penalty kill, and he'd always be out there in an important checking role. So he really understood the game and, and every single facet of it. Now, uh, later on in your career, you played for him in Houston when he uh, preceded uh, Todd McClellan in Houston and preceded yeah, Rob well, he, Yeah. He, he took the job over from Terry Ruskowski, who was let go. So I got there, you know, tips, I think, close to half a year, and then I went for his first full season. And one of the things that, you know, got me about Tim is that he was always in his office editing tape, and he used to be there you know, 10 hours a day. He was the first guy there. He never beat any of us to the arena. I mean, we never beat him to the arena. He was always the first guy there. Uh, you, you could drive by the old practice rink, and he'd be there 6 or 7 o'clock at night when you were going for dinner. And he was always in there tracking different things. And, you know, a lot of people like to claim, you know, they like to use the word analytics. And I, I think that word gets beat up a little bit too much. And I think coaches don't get enough respect for the amount of work that they put in to create their own type of analysis for every single game and I think Tip was way ahead of the curve and all the things that he was tracking and when he put those, you know, what he was tracking on the dressing room wall whether it was in a game or the day after a game he got everyone's attention and if you were a guy that was giving the puck away and always on the ice for an odd man rush that would be posted in the room the, the culprit of the play would be, you know who created that odd man rush against and he'd have four and against odd man rushes and I'll tell you what, our team was very good defensively, and the players learned a lot about, especially the young guys. You know, the older guys don't have to do a lot of pushing and prodding to get them to play defense the right way and make all the right little plays. But everyone on that team was dialed in. And I think within two years or a year later, uh, when I quit playing, Tip had won a championship, and he did not have an all-star roster. It was from the coaching uh, that that team was able to win. Uh, back then it was called the Tone of Tough, I believe. It was at the IHL still. Yeah. And uh, there's just Tip Tip had what it took, and there was no doubt that he'd be an NHL head coach. So, correct me if I'm wrong here, but at that time, uh, the IHL was spending big money, right? Like, wasn't Hubie McDonough, uh, and maybe that was a little bit before then, but I know that uh, Bill Davidson owned Tampa Bay, but he also had the Detroit Vipers as well. That's where Ian Herbers played for. I think Rick Dudley ran those teams. Like, there were some teams that were uh, shelling out, were there not, in that league? Oh, there were teams, you know, they were they were fooling a lot of the markets they were in, trying to make it look like they were rival NHL league. But they were still paying a fraction, but they were paying a ton more compared to the American Hockey League. And Rick Dudley spent a fortune. And I would, I love the guy, but I would have fired him if I was the owner for the amount of money that he was spending with the Detroit Vipers. And this is a team that had, you know, two charter jets, two private jets. And it, it was amazing, but you'd play in a paper building. And when I say that, the attendance would be announced 15000 and you'd be sitting on the bench, and you're hoping if you could get the 2000 So a, a lot of buildings in that league were doing some smoke and mirrors, and I think that ultimately led to its demise. If you didn't have a filthy rich owner that had an ego that wanted to make sure that the building, uh, you know, that didn't, didn't care how much money the team made, you're all right. And I know the plan in Houston, we had a great owner, but we actually had fans in there every single game. Uh, you also had Mark Lamb. He was a key part of those teams, and there's a chance he might end up here in Edmonton uh, as part of Tippett's staff. Just uh, what was he like at that stage? Of course, you knew him from uh, when he was an Oiler. Yeah, I played with Mark a few times. And, you know, one of the best guys I've ever seen in the power play and always a guy that every game was a big game to Mark. That's one of the things I loved about him. He was always a gamer. And 
you know, no matter injured or whatever, came to play every single night, gave it his all, whether we're in the American League at the start of our careers and the IHL at the end. And, you know what, I, I think he's got to even think with Dave as to what he needs to do. Uh, and, and I know that Dave respects him enough that he lets Lammer uh, say what's on his mind and tell him what is on his mind. And Lammer's certainly not a guest man, but ultimately Dave is a boss. And I think they fit in very well together. And he puts his work in at the arena as well. He puts in a lot of hard work. And here's a guy, too, that was a gritty player that stepped up. You know, I know in 1990 he was phenomenal in the Oilers uh, win of the Stanley Cup. And he, he understands all the other parts of the game and how important they are. I think he's got a great way with young hockey players as well, which is going to be so important in Edmonton. All right. Uh, we'd be remiss without talking about the Stanley Cup final. Al, there was about a two-and-a-half-minute shift last night in the second period. I mean, it was old school. The St. Louis Blue. It looked like how Arkansas, with Nolan Richardson, won the NCAA uh, basketball championship. They used to call it 40 minutes of hell. Just a full press and unbelievable. And, and I, I think we have seen, as much as we all have a tremendous appreciation for skill and ability, these two teams, when they want to turn it on with the forechecking pressure uh, and the ground and pound, they can still do it, can't they? Oh, absolutely. The, the Blues, that's why they've gotten this far. Chief's gotten the best out of everyone. And I think that shift that you're talking about was about three and a half minutes long, maybe a little longer, because Connor Clifton was on the ice for about 340-something. And I just, the amount of hits that were laid on that shift, and, you know, they've always, they only count the, sh- the hits that are, you have the puck on your stick, not the ones where you get the one or two extra strikes. And, you know, I, I love that. It reminded me a lot of the great old 80s and 90s hockey where guys were just going after each other. You know, no one was leaving their feet. No one was targeting the head. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are people whining about, it, you know, every single hit. And, you know, but I, I thought it was spectacular. And what a buzz in the building. Tuka Rask was under siege. And, you know, somehow the, the Bruins got through it and ended up scoring a goal just after that, the shorthanded goal. But I, I thought that was spectacular. And that's, you know, Saturday night was ruined by that the dud of a game where the Bruins won 7-2. And I, I thought last night more than made up for it. That, that reminded me last year of the Caps playing the Tampa Bay Lightning and when they were going after them in game six and seven. And I, I just loved it, the fact that the guys on both teams were playing as fast as they could, playing physical, putting everything on the line. And the Blues definitely deserved to win that game the way they did. So uh, Zidane Chara, I mean, that's, a, that's an ugly block that he took as the puck ricocheted off his stick and came up and bit him good. Um, so he's TBA. Can St. Louis win this series, Al? Absolutely. You know, I, I thought they were going to win it going into it. I, I think they're so big and physical, and it's tough to get to the net when they're working the way that they do. Uh, on the other side of it, they, they got a little sloppy the other night in the penalty kill, but they had a couple of key penalty killers out. But I, I really think that if they stick to their guns and play a more patient game when they get to Boston, I think they're going to have to be a little more patient when they're defensively, make sure that they manage to puck way better with the, with the line matchups. But I'm not expecting Turner to be back. I, I haven't heard anything about Grizzly skating. So I think that the, the Blues have to continue to go after it, lay the body on those defensemen. But if they play a smart defenseman game, defensive game and manage the puck, I believe the Blues can go in there, steal that game, and they come home and win it in six. But they've got a lot of players that have stepped up so much in the playoffs. And you look at Zach Sanford last night, former Washington Capitals draft pick, yep. and I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And he looked last night like he could play for any team in the NHL. Excellent skating, great movement of the puck. 
but he probably laid, in my opinion, the hardest hit of the game, and that was on Charlie McAvoy right into the Boston bench. And I've got to imagine that he has very sore ribs today. Yeah. But players are stepping up for them. Barbashev had nine hits last night. Thomas or, or Steen, Alex Steen had five hits. So you look at how they were playing the game. They stayed true to their DNA and how they played since Ruby became the coach. Yeah, he's uh, he's had a good go here. Uh, now, was Sanford part of the Shattenkirk trade? No, uh, let me see. Yeah, he, yes, he was. I was going to say he was part of that the, the ripoff of TJ Oshie for Troy Brower, but but it was he and Phoenix Copley in a draft pick for Kevin Shattenkirk, and you know he played the first twenty games of the year and then just fell off a cliff, and you know they they just he was an asset that the Blues I had identified. He's got all the NHL abilities, and I think he got hurt as soon as he got the same. He got, so, you know what you know, happened this year is he got, in a, a, I think Bertuzzo went after him in practice. It was Bertuzzo. I, yeah, I saw that, and, and laid a beating on him. And, uh, and I, think know, his, I, was, I, I think his mother, something he, de- he dealt with a pretty significant tragedy, too, just in the, within the same couple of weeks. I was pretty disappointed to see that, you know. But, uh, but, oh, absolutely, yeah. He had, he, had a, he had something going on while he was at the Washington Capitals, too, with his family uh, in the illness department. So he's been through a lot. But it's great to see these kids not give up on themselves. And, and you know, the guys that are the black aces, to make sure they're ready at all times because you never know when you're going to go in and what you can do. So, you know, what I love about it is I always say when you get that jersey, you know, don't play like you board it. Play like you own it and just give it your all, give it your best. Don't just be happy with standing at X and then going over to Y. Do something extra and show you belong. And he's done an incredible job these past two games. Great stuff, Al. We'll touch base down the road. Thanks again for joining us here in Oilers Now. All right, take care, Bob. You bet. That's Alan May, Edmonton area product, played over 400 games in the NHL. He's worked the last decade-plus for the Washington Capitals. Broadcast, it's 150 in Edmonton. Back to the... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Stay in Oilers history, and I got a terrific text on why the U.S. system works uh, at the junior level. This is Oilers Now. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Shed. Thanks, Oscar. It's uh, 153 in Edmonton. To this day in Oilers history, back to 1984, here is Brendan Escott. Wayne Gretzky, Bob, won the Hart and the Art Ross trophies after his 205-point season and was selected to the 1984 first All-Star team. Paul Coffey, Mark Messier, Yari Curry, who all had over 100 points as well, were named to the second team. (laughs) Four guys over 100 points. Hey, wait a sec. We had two guys this year. That's pretty impressive. And missed the playoffs. Uh, I talked about uh, the U.S. National Development Program. Jared provides a different perspective. He says on our Heartland Ford text line, Bob, the CHL plays too many games. The U.S. program has more emphasis on rest and proper practice and skill development, which is needed for 16- and 17-year-old players. CHL guys are always tired and burned out. There are likely hundreds of CHL players that are quit and burned out in the CHL. 
But if there would have been a slower progression at such a young age of 16 and 17, they would have likely played in the NHL. The CHL has always been a meat market with a concrete-bound mentality. The ones who make it out of the CHL are either superstars or survivors of the toughest league on earth. Well, that perspective, Jared, has been directed my way before. I will, like... One thing I'll say, the American system, the Swedish system right now, their young defensemen are allowed to make plays. I think with some major junior organization, the uh, defensemen are pushed to make plays. But there have been some guys that want wanted the puck off the glass and out. Uh, so um, my point is I think that the some of the American kids really benefit from basically being on an all-star team. And it's tough to gauge, all right, how do these guys do? when they go by themselves. We're going to hear from one of those guys on tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now because we didn't get it today. Uh, tomorrow, we'll have uh, Shane Sturette on, an Oilers goaltender that signed a uh, prospect that signed a one-year extension yesterday. So we'll have him on the show. We will hear from Alex Turcott on tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now. Dwayne Tomko to tell us about the Oilers locker room sale coming up. And... Craig Simpson from Hockey Night in Canada will join us for his regular Wednesday hit. Off to a global news, weather, traffic update with Cassandra Jodwan, followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jalen and I. So long, everybody, from Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.